Hi everybody, it's Erin and Meg and welcome back to the Love You Mean It podcast. This week we are so excited. We have a mental health professional coming on the podcast. She is a therapist. Her name is Bryn. She's absolutely fantastic and if you guys didn't know, September is National Suicide Awareness Month and it's also National Recovery Month. So Bryn does not specialize in suicide but she does specialize in drugs and like addiction and just rehabilitation and she's also a family and relationship therapist so she kind of has a lot of hats um we talked to her about a lot of different topics and we're just so excited to have her on the podcast because as two people who do struggle with mental health we think it's really important to talk about it and just keep the conversation going and just make it normal to talk about these things yeah for sure i mean if you guys listened to our episode that we recently uploaded two weeks ago now with Lindsay rampolsky we talked a lot about mental health and anxiety in that but if you guys would like to see a more detailed kind of episode even if it was like a bonus episode about mental health and things like that we totally could do that but personally a little tmi but me with suicidal ideations in the past Mm -hmm. i think it's just really important to bring this topic and this conversation to light because I don't know if it can be really easy to feel like you're alone obviously it's important at at all times to really be remembering the people in your life struggling with addiction and struggling with mental health problems it's really nice to have a specific month where there's just a lot of focus and a lot of love and like reminding the people around you like how much they mean to you and also i hate to say it but in these unprecedented times i feel like a lot of people are experiencing anxiety or depression or they might be turning to alcohol or drugs as a way to cope with this pandemic So I feel like it's just the perfect time to talk about everything. No one really knows how to handle this Mm -hmm. whole situation. So I think the best thing that we can do is just to talk about it. Yeah, Brandon gave some incredible advice that you guys are obviously going to have to listen to the episode to hear all about so many of you guys that are probably listening to this and just now experiencing anxiety and depression for the first time. As two seasoned veterans, we really know what it's like, but we know that so many of you are probably going through this for the first time. And so we're here for you guys. We're always, our DMs are always open on the Instagram, our personals or at Love You Meet a Podcast. Definitely follow us. We're always here for you and we want to be there for you and she just gave such incredible advice i literally teared up at one point i was trying to keep it casual but it was just such a meaningful episode and just to hear how she started her practice and kind of tips for any of you guys that are trying to look to get into therapy it's just a really important conversation that we had yeah so before we get into the interview we are going to do everybody's favorite segment it's actually our only segment but so this is Love You Meet It podcast and we always want to bring to light what we're loving, but also what we're hating because toxic positivity is not our brand. So we just kind of want to take you guys along like with the highs and the lows. So with that, I'm going to get into what I'm hating this week. And we're going to start with the lowest of the low. <sighs> guys, um, so if you're like new to planet Earth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died and she is a seasoned Supreme Court justice. Like, honestly, I think one of my biggest female role models, like, I just remember learning about her as a child and thinking it was so cool that a woman held a lifelong position. And it's so coveted. Like, people work their whole lives to get there. She just made so many influential decisions. Like, I literally have a list for you guys. So these are all the things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has done for women. She was involved in the right to sign a mortgage without a man. The right to have a bank account without a male co-signer, the right to have a job without being discriminated based on gender, and the right for women to be pregnant and have kids and work. 
So those are huge landmark decisions. Those are decisions that affect, affect us in our everyday life. The fact that she's no longer with us is just so heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And just the timing of it all, 40-something days before this like huge election. And it's just so sad. Like She was struggling for so long. And like... I read that the last couple days that she was alive, she was just like, she was just thinking about the election and like how, like, I think she kind of knew she was going to die. So she was just thinking about like the aftermath of that and like what was going to happen with her death. And she's just so sad. Now there's like this whole thing going on. Like, I know that Trump's going to try and like nominate someone before um, the election. And it's just frustrating because when President Obama was president in 2016 and he was leaving office later that year, um, Antonin Scalia died, who was a Supreme Court justice. And he nominated a person, Merrick Garland, for the role. And Mitch McConnell, who is like the shittiest piece of shit ever. I hate him. Seriously. I can say that. He basically was like, oh, we're not going to do this during an election year. And he turned it down. But now that... A Republican is president and wants to nominate a Supreme Court justice. He's like, oh, yeah, we're going to try and push it through, which is just fucking terrible, honestly. (sighs) If you're a woman or a member of the like LGBTQ community, if you're a minority, if you're literally just anybody that's not a cis white man, it's a scary time. Like, honestly, it's very scary. If anything, this is just pushing more to vote. You have to vote. Get your parents to vote. Get your friends to vote. Get your grandparents to vote. Literally anyone who will listen to you, just have them vote. Preferably for Biden and Kamala Harris. If you, I'm just going to say this. If you are a Trump supporter, please don't support our podcast. Um, Just like unfollow, unsubscribe, block us, do whatever you need to do. We don't support him at all. So... Yeah, that's basically what I have to say on that. Like, we're not coming for you. We just don't need that kind of negativity. We don't need people that genuinely don't care about the human rights of others to support our podcast and to try and be a part of this community. We want our podcast to be the most inclusive place on the internet. And of course, that seems kind of counteractive being like, oh my God, we don't want Trump supporters listening to the podcast, but we only want the people who have the most just the purest intentions and want to like love on everybody else because it's love you mean it clearly you don't mean it if you support trump that's all i have to say mic drop what are you hating Aaron? but what i'm hating this week is actually kind of funny so it'll kind of like late in the mood it's not funny but like it's also pretty hilarious but if you guys didn't know meg and i work together and i don't want to give away where we work but basically we work in new haven and i was at work today and i was just doing my job doing my thing and all of a sudden all of these cop cars there was like three cop cars maybe three fire trucks and they get this caution tape and they mark off like the sidewalk in front of our job so that nobody can walk on the sidewalk they mark off the entire street across from us and then like the entire intersection they block everything off and i was like what is happening (laughs) and nobody tells us anything but more fire trucks more police cars we're right off of yale so yale campus police comes all this stuff and me and my manager look out the window and a car pulls up and people get out with bomb squad t-shirts bomb squad you guys (laughs) And so basically there was a suspicious package and it was suspected to be a bomb in the building across the street. I'm talking maybe 25 feet away from me. (laughs) There was a suspected Mm -hmm. bomb and they get 
10 to 12 bomb sniffing dogs they have multiple people they're strapping on vests and helmets <laughs> and going in and they write they tape off the entire street intersection anybody within like 500 feet is is like ordered to turn around except for me and my manager who are 25 feet away from the alleged bomb mm-hmm. and they're like oh just stay just stay in the building so yeah casual um, yeah i mean i guess what i'm hating this week so i mean three hours later so also they never told us that there was a bomb i we just saw we like you inferred context yeah, we inferred from the bomb squad t-shirts and then we later found out that there was a us like a suspected bomb and like a suspicious package but i just think it's really funny like what else can 2020 bring me you know like what else can it toss my way i've just never been in a situation like there was like a bomb threat at my middle school but oh god <laughs> but um <laughs> i've just like never had to experience anything yeah. like that and so it was pretty scary just like being at my like normal everyday job and having minding your own damn business literally minding my own business yeah. and having there be a bomb threat but after probably about like three three and a half hours of like waiting and just like standing around there was like finally they gave us the all clear and we were able to just go back so it was just so funny because Erin was literally like live texting me and she was like oh my god there's a there's the bomb squad is here and I was like no they're not and she was like yes they are and she was just like telling me all this stuff and I was like that's wild and i was like i literally just like don't even know what to do with myself it was just like and like people couldn't come in or out of the building they just had to not come in and so we literally had like no customers and so i was just panicking thinking that i was gonna die and we were getting ready to record this podcast and i was like sitting well i was standing in the bathroom like washing my hands and i was like i'm really glad that i didn't like burst into flames and like get bombed today like i really appreciate that i was just thinking of like the Grey's anatomy episode where like that guy got shot with like a bazooka and like it didn't go Mm -hmm. out and then like the bomb squad had to come and meredith is like holding the bomb and i was like is that Aaron right now i was like that's literally how i felt yeah but i guess we'll get into what we're loving this week then so what i'm loving this week is our blue light glasses so i purchased these from amazon i got a two-pack They come in this black color and then they're also transparent and I just thought they were really cute and like I just get terrible, terrible headaches like all the time. I don't know why. I think it's just like I have a real sensitivity to like phone, light, TV, like all that stuff and just like computers and you don't realize like how much it takes a toll on your eyes and your head and so I was just like, all right, I got to do something about this. So I went on Amazon. I know, sorry, like yeah. Jeff Bezos sucks, but... But like we don't shop from there otherwise. Yeah, and like I'm not going out to stores really unless it's like to the grocery store. So um, I just ordered these and they were under $20. I don't know the exact amount because they were also doing like a promo like sale thing. Um, but I snagged them for under 20 for two pairs, which I think is crazy. They're obviously like they work. You can physically see the blue light bouncing off of these. Um, and they really do work. Like I can see a difference. Like when I look like there's a huge difference me sorry, okay, you guys, like, i was gonna say sorry for everybody listening to the podcast and not watching <laughs> you it because see. you really wouldn't understand so go to the youtube channel you link almost in our can't bio. even see my eyeballs because like the blue is so prominent i know <laughs> so these are great glasses and then aaron was like oh my god those are so cute i really like those and then so she went and ordered the same ones but she got the transparent pair and then she got like a leopard pair which is what she's wearing so right now it cute. kind of just looks like like a tortoise 
like mm-hmm. print kind of yeah it's a really casual leopard it's not like a tacky leopard it's yeah. not like a carol baskin in her tiger print like hey it's, all you it's cool way, cats and kittens it's way more classy you know yeah so we're all about that here but yeah like if you guys don't have blue light glasses or think they're bullshit they're not um i haven't gotten headaches i usually get them like every day so yeah. i haven't had one in a while now. yeah just go just go get yourself a pair these what are they called what's the brand again uh free old oh yeah it's like free old we'll link, we'll it down link that stuff below though. they also have like a lot of different options but i like the fact that they came with two pairs because you can keep like one in your purse one in your backpack or like you know like one at your office one at home it's just great to have two pairs it also comes with like a nice case and then like a cleaning sleeve so you can clean them off because i'm disgusting and get fingerprints all over them so do i so just just do yourself do yourselves a favor and just get them even if you're like not on the computer all the time just like wear them when you watch tv because like i'm gonna be like blind by the time i'm like 35 so yeah at this point honestly yeah but what i'm loving this week are horror movies we have been watching so we're recording this episode what's today saturday the 19th and we've been watching so many horror movies we watched invisible man we watched devil we watched ready or not we watched the invitation yeah and i think that was it which i guess that's only four it was four in two days and Mm so i've just been really loving horror and thriller movies and meg made a good point that we've been really loving them because like there's nothing else that really the universe can throw at us that like 2020 has already been scary enough so i don't really feel like scary movies really scare me anymore highly recommend the invitation though i was telling meg so i recommended that we watched it last night and i feel like i heard bad things about it but then i looked up the reviews after and they were like pretty decent but i feel like i heard bad stuff about it but i actually ended up really really liking it i thought it was so interesting it's a cult movie so if you like cults you would like this movie it's very good i feel like cults freak me well they do they're very scary because i i feel like ghosts really don't scare me anymore Mm. but i feel like the ideas of like Demons, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Me. I feel like the ideas of demons or like moreover just like cults where mm-hmm. it's like literal human beings <laughs> that are so freaked out and yeah. like so just like so creepy doing these things is like really what scares me these yeah. days. So yeah. But tis the season. It's almost October. By the time you guys are listening to this, it'll be the first day of fall. So happy fall. Um, oh yeah. It'll be the what not the some the, the autumn solstice or something no isn't it the autumnal autumnal solstice, solstice? i like is that, that word. autumnal that? i know because i was like it's not the summer solstice obviously well but. yeah so yeah just cheers to that go get yourself a fucking pumpkin spice latte or oh a coal a pumpkin so cream good. cold brew i haven't gotten one in a while or go get like a pumpkin iced coffee from duncan or like whatever you want to do just go get something like we... get a pumpkin donut get some apple cider donuts yeah I don't, apple picking i don't remember if we talked about this in the podcast already the pumpkin spice margaritas your mom made oh dude those are so good so like it sounds disgusting but trust me it, was it so just fire. worked man like i don't know what like apparently she made a simple syrup and if you don't know what simple syrup is it's super easy to make like literally anybody could make it you just pour water into a pot and like let it boil and then you pour sugar so you just do like equal amounts so if you do like one cup water you do one cup sugar and then you just let it melt and then it turns into like a thick syrup and then you can add flavors of things to the simple syrup so like i've made like lavender simple syrup i've done just like a bunch of different stuff and they're great for cocktails they're also great for coffee if you want to make like your own flavored coffees that's a great way to do it but my mom did a pumpkin simple syrup so she just 
added some pumpkin puree into it and then like stirred it around and then yeah so she just made like a normal margarita and then added the simple syrup into it and so then good. she also put what really did it for me was the cinnamon stick that she put in it oh you could taste that cinnamon sticks are just so Superior. great in anything like if you want them in your coffee if you want them in an apple cider or a tea or anything like they just they just like give so much flavor to whatever you're using way more than like traditional like what powdered mm-hmm. I, I guess ground yeah. cinnamon is what you call it they're just great and then she did a cinnamon sugar rim it was incredible. which oh my god just like i can link the recipe down below i'll get it for her if you guys are interested Mm -hmm. but it's just like tis the season so happy fall i talked about this last week but my youtube channel but i was like recording a a vlog and i was talking about like because obviously like with us only working part-time right now we're like we're trying to save money and not Mm -hmm. go out all the time i was like oh i don't need to get a pumpkin coffee whatever but i was like girl they brought out pumpkin coffee early for a reason and there's a pandemic (laughs) going on yeah and so if the if the only thing getting me through this life is a pumpkin coffee with almond milk i'm gonna get it and stop being so hard on myself you know yeah life's too short y'all and like it's it's just a small price to pay yeah for your happiness quick housekeeping follow us on instagram at love you meet it podcast meg has been really killing it where we have like roughly 920 something followers at this moment um it's like 930 now oh my god you're right yeah and when we hit a thousand we're going to be doing a merch giveaway hopefully we'll do like a poll soon and see like if you guys would want a tote bag or a mask and a sticker some combination we're just gonna like kind of crunch the numbers and see what you guys would be most interested in yeah so speaking of the merch if you guys haven't checked it out yet i don't really know what you're doing but yeah so just click tap the link in our bio it's under the title shop merch here it brings you to our red bubble store i have i think like 19 different prints that i made she went um so you can get them on an array of products from mugs to t-shirts to tote bags um, stickers magnets all that stuff so yeah like we'll let you know if red bubble's having any sales or anything like that uh, we always want to have make sure that you guys are getting it for the best price and everything. If you have any suggestions or you want something in a certain color, anything like that, feel free to DM us. I'd be happy to make whatever you guys would like to see. And so, I think that's it for merch, but yeah. And then in the same link in our Instagram bio, you can get to our YouTube channel where obviously you're watching this video right now, but you can subscribe and see more videos in the future. And in the show notes, I believe I'll leave the link down in the description of this video too. But if you'd like to support the podcast so that we can get better equipment and do even further giveaways in and the future more wine. I'm just and more wine for these videos, <laughs> definitely support the podcast. You can give as little as 99 cents per month. It just really means a lot. And we really appreciate all of the support that we've been receiving over the past few weeks and how much you guys are loving the episodes. But we really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. And I guess without further ado, we'll get into it. Let's get into it. We'll be right back with Bryn. Hi, everybody. We are back with Bryn, and she's just going to say a little bit about herself. Hi, everyone. So thank you, ladies, so much for having me here. My name is Bryn Sicipio, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Pennsylvania. And I also have a certification called a Certified Advanced Alcohol and Drug Counselor. I have a private practice in the Wayne area on the main line. I've been there since about 2012. And there are two other therapists who work for me in my private practice. And between the three of us, we really focus on different specialties, 
Um, I really work with clients that have substance abuse disorder. So we really just try to to support as many people as we possibly can. Okay. I could go on. I have 38 years of other things to say. No, but like right now. We say that with like a lot of people that like a lot of people have like a really like just like good bio, but that was perfect. But we want to start like kind of generally and like with some background before we get into more like specific stuff. So what attracted you to study psychology and to like to get into therapy? Okay, so my undergraduate degree is actually in criminal justice. Oh, I went wow. to yeah. university. Yeah, I went to Westchester, um, majored in criminal justice, and there for our program, you have to do an internship for an entire summer, forty hours a week. So I actually was an intern at the um, adult probation and parole department, and then mm-hmm. a short time after I graduated, I worked as a probation and parole officer. And the special unit that I was on. Um, I'll skip all the fine details, but really everyone that was on my caseload was coming back to the court because they were breaking the rule in some way. Either they were getting a new arrest or they were continuing to abuse drugs and alcohol, or they were just like disappearing into thin air. So I was in court all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was every single day. And after a little bit of time, I was like thinking to myself, this isn't really changing much because the same people you would see keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And not only that, about 90% of the individuals that were getting detained and that were being brought back to court had some sort of substance abuse history, had some sort of trauma history. I remember one individual kept getting arrested for retail theft, so stealing stuff from stores. Mm -hmm. And that is usually commonly associated with drug addiction. But this person did not have a drug addiction. And after meeting with her on several different occasions, she clearly explained to me that this was a systemic problem and that her mom at a young age would take her to go steal with her for whatever reason. This was a very much learned behavior and there was a lot of connection to her and her mom there. So while I loved my job and there were aspects of it that I absolutely did love, I felt that there was something more I could be doing to affect change. So I sat at my computer one day and said like grad schools in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and 8 million options popped up. <laughs> and when I was reading through all the descriptions, I came across uh, LaSalle University's marriage and family therapy program mm-hmm. and just absolutely fell in love and worked full time as a probation and parole officer during the day. I went to school at night, um, interned at night, the whole nine. It was really, um, quite an intense experience, but extremely valuable. And then, so from there, I made my shift from working in the criminal justice side as more of an enforcer of rules to mm-hmm. working with a lot of criminal justice individuals um, who really needed treatment and who really needed intense therapy and support. And then I found myself working with the drug court program in Montgomery County. Um, and if you don't know anything about drug courts, they're really life-saving programs. There's over 3,000 of them all over the country. They have an incredible history. Um, and what they do is they combine really intense supervision from the courts and from the probation and parole department with really intense treatment. And it's a comprehensive team effort and there's constant communication. So uh, we really have great success with that. And then from there, I transitioned into, um, I did that for several years and then started having kids and then you know transitioned into private practice, which would allow me to have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. That's so interesting. Yeah, you really like did so much in such a short time. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of that's a lot of experience. That's so cool. I just think it's so cool because I feel like that's something people don't realize too, is that like when it comes to like criminals and stuff and like when people do like repeat offenses, like a lot of it does come down to like 
just psychology and all yeah. of that and like stuff that they've been through like in the past. So I think it's so cool that you were like willing to like put yourself out there to like address that within other people. I think that's really cool. Yeah, there are so many individuals. I, I to be honest with you, um, I think there's such a small, small, I don't even want to give a number because I'll probably off, you know, be way off, but there's such a small percentage of individuals that I think really meet what you would call an antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then I do wonder about individuals who have this history of trauma or neglect um, or shame inducing relationships in some way. So I, I think there's a, a huge population that's not being served right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just really challenging to do so as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you have rules that you have to enforce too. Yeah. You know? And there's so many different moving parts and exactly rules and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So you talked about being a parole officer for seven years before becoming a therapist. What was that like? That was, like I said, I was in court a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of go in reverse a little bit, but being a marriage and family therapist doesn't mean that I only work with couples or I only mm-hmm. work with families. What it means is I'm looking at the entire system of relationships. I'm looking at the system of relationships for patterns, for resources, for strengths, for limitations. And so my idea of systems really started to grow and my love for systems really started to grow through the criminal justice system because I was in court all the time. So I'm witnessing so many moving parts. I'm having communication with officials from the jail about getting people paroled in the treatment agencies. I'm going into court and seeing then how this translates into the courtroom, um, which attorneys match up well together, which attorneys and judges match up well together, uh, which judges tolerate X, which judges tolerate Y. So really that's kind of where my love for working with systems really grew and began. Like, I know I read that on your website too, that like you were just someone that like really cared about like relationships and things like that. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was so cool because kind of like reading about like family and just like marriage therapy and just, I don't know, I feel like it's something that people forget that it's like just goes down to like the relationships overall. Yeah. It's just like learned behaviors from childhood, Mm -hmm. like their parents' relationships, if they had parents, just like all the stuff Mm -hmm. contributes to their actions later on in life. Mm -hmm. And there's this like mistaken belief. And I would love to know where this came from because it's so (laughs) dumb, but I get it. But there's this belief that people think what, because they hit a certain age, that experiences they had during their most crucial developmental years Mm -hmm. from zero to 12, that all of a sudden those experiences shouldn't matter anymore or that they should get over it or that they should be, you know, I hear people all the time. They say things like, um, I'm X amount of age or I'm X amount of years old and I should be over this by now. And so my reply to them is often, well, like what work have you done to get over that? Or what work have you done to heal those parts? Because it's not just like all of a sudden you hit 36 and your poof turned into someone new, you know, Mm -hmm. or 45 or 72, or, I mean, I see it all over, you know, or 18. Yeah. And I think like the longer you wait to deal with these childhood traumas it just be it just manifests in other different parts of your life and absolutely become like way bigger than it ever was so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean the individuals that I work with that have a history of drug and alcohol abuse I've never met someone who says oh I just thought it would be a good idea yeah 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 right it's all this is just the expression of like all the other crap that came before Mm mm-hmm I also read, speaking of your website, about you being an adjunct professor for a point. Like, so I just want to kind of talk about like 
what that was like working in that program. I loved it. So I was um, at LaSalle for about five years Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to teach um, a lot of the courses related to addictions and family systems. Mm -hmm. And that I absolutely loved. And I think when you become a teacher, you have to um, obviously really be on your A game. But Mm -hmm. I also think it, it, it increases your love of learning even more when you have to, when you're responsible for growing it, you know, within other individuals and at a graduate level, this is not psychology 101 where Mm -hmm. some kids care less about your class and other kids are semi interested in it. You know, everyone in these programs are extremely dedicated and committed. So that was, um, that was a really cool period of time. That was awesome. I love doing that. Yeah, that must have been so cool being able to like go back to to like your alma mater and like teach yeah. other people that yeah. would want to be like probably like grow up and do what you're doing now. That must have been so cool. Yeah, so actually Mariah Rutledge, who's one of the therapists in my practice, she was a student of mine at LaSalle. Oh, wow, that's, that's so, cool. so cute. Yeah, she was a student of mine and then, you know, she finished the class. I mean, we mm-hmm. don't really keep in touch with our students too much. And then... um a couple of years after I guess she had graduated or she had class with me, I was looking to expand my practice and someone that we mutually know mm-hmm. um, corrected us. Mm-hmm. And I said, Mariah, there's not too many Mariahs around here that have therapists. I said, did she go to LaSalle? And this connection said, yeah, she did. And I was like, I know exactly who she is. She was my student. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so fun what a small know. world. I know. I know. And it's been wonderful having her. So why did you decide to get an advanced certification as a drug and alcohol counselor? So I don't think that um, when you are looking for a therapist, you are just scrolling through, you know, a lot of times looking at, you know, different websites or different credentials. And so I don't believe there's a ton of licensed marriage and family therapists who focus in on addictions. Mm -hmm. And so I really um, want that to be clear and to stand out to other, to other people. So Mm -hmm. it's the same, uh, you know, I wouldn't do anything different as far as my profession goes. I would still do the trainings that I have to do. So to maintain my license as a marriage and family therapist, I need 30 continuing education credits every two years. And for my addiction certification, I need 40. Mm-hmm. every two years so it's just constant training which is fine with me because I'm doing that anyway yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. so I feel like we've kind of established that you have like so many different hats and you do like so many different things like how do you balance it all I don't know I was thinking <laughs> the other day about during quarantine and how like standards are changing for a lot of people mm-hmm. and I said my hobbies right now is like to make sure my children eat um yeah. and stay alive every day like <laughs> Like this is the standard of living that we have, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I have to really honestly give an incredible amount of credit to my husband. We are just a really phenomenal team and we've been together for like dating and marriage and everything. We've been together for 14 years. So congratulations. That's nice. This is something that we, you know, worked really hard at. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think that we, I mean, I speak for myself. I work really hard at, just trying to be mindful of being a parent, trying to be mindful of like my kids' needs and slowing it down. I think slowing it down is really important and prioritizing like what's okay, what's not okay, you know, what needs to be done now, what can be done later, what, like who cares if it ever gets done, you know, looking at like what's urgent, what's not urgent. Um, that's kind of been helping, you know, but sometimes it's like craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
this is just kind of an impromptu question. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's cool that like you're a marriage counselor and like you're like married, like how does that affect your marriage? Do you think it's helped you? Okay. I was going to ask that too. Like how, just like, <laughs> just like, just like, I don't just know. Like, Cause marriage is rough. Like I've never been married, but like mm-hmm. so you see so many people getting divorced and having issues. Like, do you think it's helped you like knowing all this stuff and like practicing it? So here's the deal. It, <laughs> I'm sure in some way it has helped me, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, information is power, right? Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. You can't go wrong with it. Um, it's not that I sit down with my husband and I'm like, so we're going to read chapter six tonight on how to be <laughs> Like that doesn't happen, yeah. right? To be very candid, I think what probably helps me the most or is the most influential in my life, not just in my marriage, is the work I do with the people that I see. Yeah. Right. So, because this, and this is like, um, something you may find like a little weird, but it happens to a lot of therapists that things that are happening in your personal life will start to show up in your clients. Oh, so like if I'm battling, uh, like a, I have a stepson who's a teenager. So if like, there's a period of tension between us, mm-hmm. like, in a very weird universal-ish way, right? Like some crazy mm-hmm. spirit voodoo stuff. Um, I'll start to have clients that are having talking about like problems with their kids or mm-hmm. problems with a teenager, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so weird stuff like that happens. And when you're in tune to it and when you're paying attention to it, you can say, okay, like I know how to focus and help this person. And I also know that when I leave the office today, maybe there's a couple of things I need to be doing differently. Now, of course, I'm not sharing that with my clients because yeah. the therapy's not for me, yeah. you know, but it's for them. But it certainly is impactful. And uh, it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, you're like, okay, universe, I hear you. I got you. That's so interesting. That would be hard, I feel like, to remain objective, like when you're personally like going through something mm-hmm. and then you see it manifesting like right in front of you and somebody else, you're like, uh. <laughs> So there's ways to share. I mean, I think the biggest thing that you can do when you're experiencing something or when you have experienced something in your life mm-hmm. um, is to just use it to inform questions that you ask your client because your experience is not going to be the same as everyone else's experience, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes I'll share candidly and say, um, oh yeah, my kids have been crazy too with homeschooling or virtual school or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, um, oh, we went there on vacation too, you know, something like that. Because you are human. Yeah. Like, that clients do want to know that you're human and they want yeah. to feel that connection. Um, but there can be times, like my dad died a couple years ago. So if I have someone who comes in who's talking about the death of a parent, um, I may share some parts of that, mm-hmm. but I may use it more mm-hmm. to ask questions, right? Yeah. I know like with my therapist, I always like ask them like how they're doing and stuff Mm -hmm. like that because I almost want it to be like a mutualistic relationship where like we both feel good talking to each other and like comfortable. So it's not just like a doctor and patient. It's more just like two people having a conversation. Yeah. Well, when it's, I'm so glad that you said that because when we are in grad school and training to become therapists, that's a big focus Mm -hmm. is um, decreasing that hierarchy there yeah right? mm-hmm. because the therapist will always have like the upper hand so to speak mm-hmm. or to always have that authoritative position and so it's always important to 
let the client lead and to acknowledge to the client um, that that power differential does exist and to do everything we can in the most ethical way to, you know, limit that. Mm -hmm. I know, like I go to therapy too. And like, I started off going to therapy, like going to her house, but then, and just like hanging out on the couch, chatting, but then like, obviously with COVID and everything, like it's only on the phone. Mm -hmm. And so like, even like, I'll do the same thing. Like, it'll be like 45 minutes of me being like, oh, oh yeah, like this is why I cried this week. And the last five minutes, she's like, yeah, I just got in like a fight with my boyfriend. And like, and so like, you know, kind of having that like mutualistic, like we were saying, like relationship in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And some people ask, so I have um, a stepson and then I have three mm-hmm. children uh, and I've had my babies all while I was in private practice. So like when wow. you're growing, right. Yeah. It's very obvious that you're pregnant. Um, some people really want to be like a part of that process and want to know and want to ask, yeah. like, how are you feeling? Is the baby yeah. kicking? Do you know the gender? And other people could care less. So like, that's fine. Like whoever wants to talk about it, I'll answer yeah. your question. You know, we can spend like a minute or two, but mm-hmm. then we're going to do the work. So you have yeah. to be careful too, because, um, what I don't want to do is have a client come in, um, and talk, want to talk all about me. And then yeah. they're like, avoiding yeah. what's happening for them. Yeah. I think it's important to like remember that when you go in yeah so speaking of your practice how did you start it and like what made you want to start your own practice I don't it's so funny I don't remember why exactly I wanted to start it I think it was always part of the plan mm-hmm. like it was always this is something that I'm going to do the timing of it so when I was um pregnant with my daughter with my oldest she's six now when I was pregnant with her, I was working full-time at an outpatient agency. Mm-hmm. I was teaching um, two classes a semester at night. And I was seeing like maybe one or two clients in the evening. That's insane. That's, insane. that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm either going like a hundred miles an hour or I'm dead. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> those are like my two speeds. Yeah. <laughs> so I had her, was home for like, I don't know, 14 weeks with her. And then went back to the agency one day a week. And I was like, oh, this is really nice to have a flexible schedule. So then I just started like putting um, as much time and effort as I could into that. Um, I worked at nights and then it was like my husband and I were ships passing in the night. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to work during the day. And initially I was kind of scared because I'm like, who's going to come in during the day? Everyone has jobs. But to be honest with you, Nowadays, everyone's job is flexible. People work from home. People work rotating shifts. People, you know, can flex their hours. So it's really worked out great. Have you just been doing like your like your practice like over the phone and like FaceTime and stuff because of COVID? So I use a platform called Doxy, mm-hmm. and it's basically like Zoom, but it's a HIPAA compliant platform. Uh, there's no like limits to the minutes or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, it's actually really cool because the clients can click on the same link. They don't need a different access code or anything like that. Oh my. Uh, and if I'm in session with somebody else, there's like a little dashboard on the left-hand side that I see where if the mm-hmm. next client comes in, it'll say like, Joe Schmoe's in your waiting room. And then I can see that. So I think that's what I have for my therapist. It's really nice yeah. though. She just yeah. sends me like the, a day be- uh, like the day before my appointment, she'll send me like a reminder text and mm-hmm. then it just has the link. And then, so like I just tap it and it's so easy. Yeah, it's perfect. I yeah, love it's that. I, I love that we're like going towards that now. Like it's just yeah. so much more convenient to do it. Like if you can. I know. Mm-hmm. And I, I really thought, you know, like a year ago I was having a conversation with someone about uh, 
virtual work and would people mm -hmm. buy into it? And I was really hesitant, like, I don't know. There's definitely practices out there that are all telehealth, but I don't know, like it feels weird in some way. Mm -hmm. And then it was like March 13th, the world shut down and everyone went virtual and everyone was fine with it. It was like yeah. all of a sudden we're yeah. totally cool with it. But so many of my clients have said how they love the flexibility of it because they don't have to factor in a drive time. Oh yeah. Um, some have kids that can't really stay home by themselves, but that can watch a movie in the mm -hmm. other room while we're having therapy. Um, some clients have vacation homes. They're like, it's so nice. I don't have to drive back on the mountains or the beach yeah. or wherever. Yes, I can come in. So um, it's worked out much better than I had anticipated. Yeah. Like I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it either. The one thing I don't like is that like, I would prefer to almost to do like a video call rather than just talk on the phone. Cause then it's just me with like my AirPods and in my bed and I'm like, okay, like, Hey, how's it going? Oh no, I like with her, with her, what she's using, like the doxy, mm -hmm. I like physically see my therapist. Yeah, so I'm like, like having yeah. a conversation. Yeah. So I really don't think it's any different. No. Um, and like for me, like my therapist is the office is an hour away. So yeah. that's like a huge inconvenience yeah. for me. And like, yeah. I would have to cancel appointments like because of class or work or like, I just couldn't do it. So yeah. for me, this is like the best thing ever. And she's yeah. like, I'm going to try and keep doing it. Like for patients like you who like are just so far that like it's inconvenient. But yeah, yeah. I mean, really whoever, and I told, and I have clients that are not, um, physically close to the office. I have clients that have health issues. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really like, whoever wants to stay in this, it's totally fine with me. The, yeah. only, I would say the only gripe I have is I am a pretty, um, like emotive talker, I guess, or yeah. very visual. So my hands sometimes like <laughs> you can't see them yeah. or sometimes when I'm in session with someone, I'll like lean in for mm -hmm emphasis but I'm noticing on my on the computer it's just like a big screenshot of like my eyeballs or <laughs> it's like your body language is adapting to yeah like, yeah yeah well no because that's one of the reasons too why we I mean so over quarantine we weren't well I mean we're still in quarantine right yeah. now but like when like COVID first hit like we were like recording over the phone but we weren't like seeing each other but I can't even imagine like doing calls now like with like people were interviewing and not being able to see them because as you can tell me moving my yeah. hands I'm such like yeah. a hand talker yeah, too and like even if we're like it's not even like there's anything really I guess yeah. but it's like I just like seeing the other person and like being able to like I don't know just like talk and to that and that's one of the reasons why I'm not in a rush to go back to the office because I don't want to have to wear a mask yeah it's you know, I think it can be distracting I know even when I go out and I have my mask on and my glasses my sunglasses I get all fogged up I don't want to be all fogged up or people that have glasses to be all fogged up. And I think you can miss so much by not having that full facial expression. Yeah. For and sure. I, I think like, because therapy is so emotional, like you need to be able to read the face of the, of your therapist yeah. and like vice versa. Like you need to pick up on social, like social clues and, you know, just like body language. So I think yeah. that whole aspect of seeing each other is really important. Well, yeah. And like, I was talking to my therapist about this too, but I was like, I don't even know if I would be comfortable going in person because like, no, I, I don't even know if I could literally bear my soul to you when I'm worried about like, whether or not like we're touching or if I'm being yeah. safe or like, God forbid, yeah, I like, cry. Who is it for you? Right. Yeah. 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 Kind of getting back onto the question. Yeah. Again. Um, <laughs> what's the most rewarding part for you about like helping your clients through therapy and like everything that you do at your practice? So, uh, I mean, there's two parts to it. So like one, you want to say success stories, right? But then my, I start to backpedal because I think to myself, there's not 
a definitive success story. There's so many small wins, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes the small wins are when the um, client is just at a level of honesty with themselves that they have never been at before. And being able to literally pretty much be the only other person who's sitting there with them it sounds kind of corny, but like, just cause I can't think of any other word. It truly is an honor. It really is. And I mean it. And I love every single one of my clients that I work with and I care deeply about them and their families and their parents and their sisters and their kids. And now with COVID and doing virtual things, I'm meeting all of their animals and their cats and their dogs and you know, um, so I, there are rewards. I mean, it's hard hard work. Don't get me wrong. And there are days that I am exhausted after working with individuals just because there's so much to hold and there's so much pain in the world Mm -hmm. and there is so much empathy to be given. Um, and then at the same time, there's some days that I, right now I'm seeing clients virtually. I'm locked in the basement, but I like come up out of the basement and I feel like a million bucks. You know, I'm just like, today was such a good day. And I had so many clients that are just growing in leaps and bounds, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, while there's like definitely these big wins of like, oh, their marriage was saved, like, or oh, they're sober or things like that. I had a client message me over the summer um, that I worked with previously, letting know that they had hit a milestone in their recovery. Mm -hmm. And so that was like amazing. And that happened to be, on the same day I was going to get my hair done, which I'm sure you can imagine during COVID has been yeah. like, you know, the second coming of Christ. So it was, you know, just like amazing things were happening that day. <laughs> a great day overall. Yes. So, <laughs> a great day for everyone. <laughs> you kind of talked about um, like the difficult parts of your job. Like what are, what like specifically is so like overwhelming and difficult, like on bad days? It's not it's probably not what my clients think. My clients would may say it's when I messed up, when my clients messed up or if I relapsed or if I, you know, I told you I wasn't going to call that person. And then I call that person and they feel bad about themselves. Um, that to me is not, is not hard. And there's not a part of my job that is like negative or bad. It's just holding that pain mm-hmm. for other people and allowing my office and my work with them and our space and my presence to hold, you know, to just be that like open space that like, yes, like you can put all of this here and I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to shut you down. I'm not going to run away from you. I'm not going to chastise you. I'm not going to become angry. I'm not going to change the subject. I'm not going to avoid. I'm not going to do everything that everybody in your you know, life probably has done in response to this pain. So it's just really showing up and being that um, constant, like open, connected, empathetic person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's, it's really awesome to see like people like you or just like psychologists, therapists in general that can give like so much of themselves to like their clients Mm -hmm. and like just be that person. Because even we had like a guest on and she has a book now, but she went to school for social work. Her name's Asia Monet. And like, she has an Instagram where she does like these like weekly kind of talks where like, she'll post about like a topic, like she'll post about like addiction or like sex or something. And like, people will send in just like 
how they feel about it or like answer different questions that she gets or that like she'll put out and like people will send like such heavy stuff oh, and yeah. I know it affects her like so severely yeah so it's like really cool to see like people like the both of you that are able to take that on because even myself I'm like so empathetic yeah that when it comes to like even like when she'll tell me sad stuff it like makes me sad and so yeah. it, it must be hard to some extent to like get like I mean I guess to some extent you are like almost like bracing yourself for it but then to just get like all of that and have to like kind of hold on to it in a way well and I also think it's important to let clients know you know I and maybe some clients do want a stone wall but that's not me yeah that's never been me and it's not going to be me right like when you have a win I am like that crazy cheerleader like in the fan gear with the big foam finger like yeah <laughs> you know and when you have pain I'm not I'm not crying with you, but I'm certainly letting you know that your pain is absolutely valid mm -hmm. and that whatever happened to you was horrible and should not have happened to you and was not fair um, from soup to nuts, you know, from like the worst things you can think of to things that may not have affected somebody else in that way, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, I'm just, it's, it's showing up and, simultaneously letting people um, know that their feelings are absolutely valid and that their experiences, you know, contribute to these feelings that they're having. So like what advice would you have for somebody that wants to go into like what you do, like wants to kind of like go down the path that you did like with your career? So here's the deal. This is not the role of a physician heal thyself. This is not, oh, I had family problems. So let me be a family therapist. Mm -hmm. That is not okay. Everyone, no one comes from a perfect family. No one has perfect parents. Um, no one is the perfect parent. No one's the perfect partner. No one's the perfect daughter, the perfect son. So we all have our own stuff. If you are coming into this field because you think that your experiences and your experiences alone are going to cure all, that is not happening and this is not the field for you. Mm -hmm. Anyone who is entering this field so the good thing is when you go to get licensed, you're required to have supervision. Mm -hmm. In supervision is where you talk about your cases, you talk about the clients that you're working with, your interventions, all HIPAA compliant, of course. You know, you'll say like Joe S. Yeah. That's my coach for Joe Schmo. <laughs> or not even Joe S, just Joe. But you'll also talk about this uh, developing a professional within you and the person of the therapist within you and what's happening um, in your life, you know, if a client is being really triggering for you. Mm -hmm. So like supervision, 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 like, and get way more than you need and keep yeah. getting it. Mm -hmm. Even after you don't, uh, you know, it's not required anymore because you've met the standards, like don't stop it. No, I think it's always good to have like a second opinion, for especially sure. like when you're trying to create like a treatment plan for somebody. But so now we're going to transition a little bit and just talk about like therapy. What are some ways that a person can tell if it's time for them to go to therapy? It's this weird intersection. There's two things that are happening. So one is the pain, the pain becomes too great, mm -hmm. right? So this is when people normally show up to therapy. I wish it was sooner, but this is when they normally show up to therapy. One is that the pain becomes too great. But what also happens is, is when we experience pain in our life, we almost adjust what's normal for us. So something that may have been shocking X amount of time ago, uh, if it continues to happen, 
like our, we just kind of recalibrate mm -hmm. our baseline. And so it doesn't feel as shocking anymore. So while we're continuing to adjust to like this pain and this trauma and our new level of normal, we'll also hit a point where we can't adjust anymore and the pain becomes too great. But I really think for anyone, if that question ever pops into your mind, maybe I should talk to someone about this, or I'm curious about therapy, call somebody. And even if you call a therapist, any good therapist I know offers a free like 15 minute phone consultation. They should be able to answer any questions you have. You can ask whatever questions you want of them, what they can expect out of therapy, things like that. Um, just make the phone call. You're not committed. You don't even have to give your last name, just the phone number so someone can call you. But if there's this nagging voice in the back of your mind that something needs to change and I'm not sure exactly what to do, make an appointment to see a therapist. Yeah, I think that's great advice because I feel like what scares people just like a lot of the time is making that first step mm -hmm. or just like being like, okay, like I need help. But just reminding people too, that exact idea that you can get like a 15 minute consultation and you don't have to like sign up with them and like make them your therapist. No. If it doesn't go well, you can, there are other ones. I've had right. a friend recently who got a therapist and mm -hmm. he didn't like him. And mm -hmm. he was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I was like, here's you an idea. Have... You can get another, like a yeah. different one. Another one, right. Yeah. Right. And also be aware that referrals can be a really great source, mm -hmm. but the person who is giving you the referral may have a different personality than you, may want something different out of therapy. So if like Susie Joe was saying, oh, I love my therapist. You should go see her. And then you go see Susie Joe's therapist and you're like, this doesn't feel okay for me. Mm -hmm. It's probably because you have different needs and it doesn't mean that the therapist is bad or good or whatever the case may be that, you know, the therapeutic, and this is researched and proven time and time again, that the number one success factor in therapy is the therapeutic relationship between the therapist and the client. Mm -hmm. So if you're not comfortable, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing. Like if you, if you do feel uncomfortable, like you don't have to feel pressured to stay like it's and you're more likely to like get a breakthrough or you know get somewhere if you actually feel comfortable talking to somebody because at the end of the day like you're basically presenting your life on a platter to someone and like mm -hmm. if you don't feel comfortable doing that then that can be like really harmful mm -hmm. to you right and it's just not worth it you know yeah so like what advice kind of going off of that do you have for somebody that's like looking for a therapist so I definitely would advise um, individuals to seek someone who is licensed or who's under supervision and working towards licensure. That's just a whole other set of requirements. I had a client tell me not that long ago that they had no idea all of the requirements that go into and all the training and the hours of work uh, and experience needed before you can even be granted a license, at least in Pennsylvania. And it's, it's pretty much the same in all the other states as well. So I would definitely look for someone who's licensed or someone who's under supervision working towards their licensure. And I think that it's also really helpful to interview your therapist. So sign up for that 15 minute phone consultation, have a list of questions to ask them. If you are someone who is presenting with, um, you know, uh, let's say, oh, my, my kids, my, I think my 19 year old kid's an alcoholic, mm -hmm. right? You work with addiction, you work with families. What, do, what are some ideas that you have? Can you tell me about another family that you worked with that sounds similar to ours? And they should be able to answer your questions. 
and maybe a therapist should totally answer the, your questions that you have. And so they're not going to tell you, well, like, you know, John down the street, this is what I did there, but they can give you an idea of different interventions they would use, different um, approaches, questions that they would ask, they would share with you stories about other clients that they've worked with, what worked well for them, what may or may not be the same for you. Um, so definitely come with questions like interview your therapist. This is a big commitment. It's not like, Oh, maybe I'll try on these sneakers. And if they don't fit, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're going to be bearing your soul to someone, you want it to make sure it's someone that you feel connected to and is competent as well. No, like, I think that's so important. That's something I didn't even really think about is that like, you have every right to like ask them about like their experience in mm-hmm. the past, like kind yeah. of get like their resume quote unquote and yeah. see, like, the kind of stories that they've had to deal with in the past. Yeah. Cause like almost at the end of the day, like, although you are like paying them, you're like, they're providing you a service. So like they need to, you need to be able to share, you need to be sure that like they can fulfill their end and like actually help you make improvement in your mm-hmm. life. Do you think that there's a stigma behind therapy and seeking help? Yeah, I think that's really unfortunate that it's 2020. Um, I think it's greatly shifting. Mm -hmm. I think that your generation is certainly a big um, factor in that shift where therapy is not this like secretive, you know, word anymore. Um, But I I think that there's probably part stigma, stigma, but I also think that people are entitled to their privacy. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you go see a therapist, like you don't have to share it with everyone. And if you don't share it, it doesn't mean because you feel shame or you feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. So we have to be conscious that some people are very open and sharing about going to a therapist and some people are entitled to their privacy, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't know every single detail about every person's life and you don't need to. I think I started going to therapy like four years ago. Mm -hmm. And like, I never really talked about it, I guess. Like it wasn't just something that like ever really came up, but it wasn't until like, I started like watching people on like YouTube or something or like listening to podcasts and like they were talking about their like mental health journey and all of that and like going to therapy and being on medication. And so that's why we kind of wanted to like obviously talk about it here as well because I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's at least one person listening that's either considering going to therapy Mm -hmm. or just started going and is like just like cautious or nervous about the whole experience and it's normal to go to therapy and we kind of want to like break down the stigma overall. Yeah, everyone should go to therapy. I don't- I'd like at least some point. Yeah, I don't know. I think everyone could benefit from it. And there's like this kind of like joke saying that like people go to therapy to deal with the people in their lives who go to therapy. I was just going to say, there's like my two favorite memes. Mm-hmm. I, like, memes, I guess, right? Yeah. So th- that's one. Yeah. Like, yeah. People go to therapy to deal with people in their lives who won't go to therapy. And then there's another one that's kind of funny where it's like, um, somewhere someone's therapist knows all about you <laughs> yeah because <laughs> we talk in therapy about people that have never met our therapist that are never going to meet our therapist that our therapist you know doesn't know our therapist exists so I, I just always find that funny too I didn't even think about that I'm like me thinking about all the therapists in the world that probably know about me I know I was like Aaron, did you talk- <laughs> I was like Aaron did you talk to your therapist about me I was like <laughs> I feel like that's such like an honor. Like it can be like a good thing, yeah. but it can also obviously yeah. be a bad thing. Well, yeah. I mean, like but, it's, it's obviously bad if it's like I'm talking shit, but I'm like, yeah. So like my roommate and my best friend Meg. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like now, just like with every in these unprecedented times, is when a lot of people are going through. <laughs> my favorite word. Oh. Um, no, we we got an email um yesterday, and somebody was like. I hope you're doing well um, just because of like everything that's going on right now anyways and I was like <laughs> anyway um, but just with like 
obviously COVID and everything going on, I feel like a lot of people are experiencing anxiety for the first time almost, or just anything like that. So me, every single question, I'm like, what advice would you give to people that are just now like experiencing like this kind of other side of mental health that they've never like experienced before for the first time? I think what's happened for a lot of individuals that maybe wouldn't have named that as part of their experience is what Mm -hmm. has happened over this last six months, their coping skills and their ability to have choices have been taken away. Right. So gyms are closing, um, you know, being able to socialize with friends and family, you know, for like three months, we were in this red phase where you couldn't, you know, we're like waving high for Easter out the window, um, wiping down groceries with Clorox and things like that. So I think it, part of it was that the actual coping skills were being limited. And then I also think it was just not feeling like you had any choice and this, um, huge isolation was setting in for a lot of individuals, which is really tapping into, you know, their mental health, um, in that way. So the kind of two words that I have really been connecting to during this period of time have been flexibility and creativity. So how can we be flexible? How can we be creative to get our needs met, to decrease our anxiety, whatever it looks like? Um, and I'm actually speaking with a lot of clients right now about preparing for the winter. So as we can start to see happening in our area, it's not sunny out till nine o'clock at night anymore, right? It's starting to get darker earlier. So what are the things that you need to do now to prepare for the winter? Because I don't think the winter is going to be all of a sudden normal. Me and myself this right now? I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> So here's like, you know, my like mini soup to nuts checklist is everything from, do you need a vitamin D sunlight in your place? Right. So you can get that. Do you need snow pants? Like what if it snows and you want to get outside and go sledding, but we know come the winter time, like that first snowfall, Amazon's going to be out of snow pants for like four months, right? Mm -hmm. You need a sled. Like you need to book a, you know, trip somewhere now that you can go to in February, wherever it may be, just to have a change of scenery. So really start to think like, okay, if this was January, if this was February, and whether we're in the state that we're in now with the limitations we have now, or God forbid, if we're like back to red, right? Like what do I need to do? What's been working for me now? And how can I create that in cooler months or frigid months or during a blizzard? It can turn into anything, right? The seasonal depression is real. Like, it's so yeah, like, I, like, I already have, like, a vitamin D deficiency. Me thinking yeah. about the vitamin D pills in my room, <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, that's, like, that's just so important. Like, I think that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought that was really cool. Like, flexibility and creativity and just being, like, I don't know, just, like, flexible and easy with yourself. Like, I feel like that's something I kind of dealt with, too, when the pandemic first started. I was like, okay, time to hustle, time to grind, yeah. like, time to no. do stuff, and, like, be productive, no. and then I was, like, way, like, I was like, oh, I haven't seen my best friend in four months. Yeah. I was like, I don't, because, like, I went back to my parents' house, and mm-hmm. like, they only live 20 minutes away from, like, our apartment now, but I was like, I, like, can't even go anywhere. I was yeah. like, I can go for a walk down the street, and that's it. But right. um, the winter time, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, I just think like mindfulness and just self awareness are really important, and just like checking in and making sure like you're doing things for yourself and like taking time to slow down and like just do some self care, mm-hmm. like because 
that's I feel like people just run themselves into the ground mm-hmm. and then they just are burnt out and don't know why and I'm like because you're not like taking care of yourself yeah. you know I'm guilty of it too but for it's sure. for sure an issue yeah. just because the rest of the world slows down doesn't mean it's your opportunity to speed up exactly like, oh. slow down too right yeah, for sure you're actually the one I didn't even know, but like you're actually like okay. So I knew that September was National Suicide mm-hmm. Awareness like Awareness Month, but you're mm-hmm. actually the one that told me about September being National like Substance like Recovery Month, and I had no idea. So we yeah. kind of wanted to transition into that as well because we know you are the expert. <laughs> oh God, no pressure. Um, no, yeah, September is National Recovery Month, where we celebrate individuals that really have desire recovery that are living a life in recovery that were not able to live a life of recovery because they died as a result of their substance abuse. And normally um, every year there is a huge event down at Penn's Landing around like September 20th, Mm -hmm. 21st, I think is when it normally is. It's hosted by um, ProAct, which is a wonderful organization that I assume they're not having it this year. It's called the Recovery Walk, but they do this kind of... um, roll call or I forget what they not like a color guard but it's more like a roll call where they'll um celebrate people that have these like incredible milestones mm-hmm. like 30 years clean 40 years clean 20 years wow. clean like to, like one day clean yeah. so it's it's really it's really an incredible event that they have but if you go on to SAMHSA's website mm-hmm. the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Organization they have an entire recovery toolkit on there to share about recovery on social media, to get connected to recovery. There's like virtual events um, happening pretty much every day all over the country. So it's really, um, it's a really great month. We love it. Wow, those (laughs) are great resources. Yeah, I was gonna say, we'll link that down below for everybody that's listening. So what inspired you to help others in terms of addiction and substance abuse? So that was really connected to my work within the production and parole department, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I just transitioned um, from that working to, an outpatient um, drug and alcohol agency. Mm -hmm. So I was still working within the court system, but I was really treating individuals that had a substance abuse uh, diagnosis or problem or concern, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Are there any like, like, I don't know, like they don't have to be specific, but are there any warning signs that people should look out for like in themselves or like other people when it comes to like, I don't know, like recovery or substance abuse? Yeah. So, you know, you can have someone, there's certainly like standards at play as far as like how often you're using a substance or how um, much you are, things like that. But my bottom line is if you can't stop it for an extended period of time without any concern, um, that's a problem, Mm -hmm. right? If you're like, oh, tonight I'm going to go out with my girlfriend's and I'm like not going to drink. And the next thing you know, you're blacked out. Like that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if you're like, well, I don't want to stop. Like, well, why don't just try to challenge yourself just to make sure it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's a problem. Um, or if you're having, uh, you know, like negative consequences of people in your life are saying, uh, I don't really like when you do this, or mm-hmm. I'm not really down with that. Or if your friends are changing, you know, addiction is a, fascinating disease and it really has an incredible way of like hijacking your brain Mm -hmm. so it will start to warp your thoughts where you will believe that these people who do love you and care about you who are voicing complaints are really just no fun Mm -hmm. they're just fun suckers right they don't know how to have a good time uh they're not risk takers 
or um, they can't possibly feel what I feel. Uh, they haven't, if they had the experiences in my life and if they felt the pain that I felt or felt the shame that I felt, they'd be doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really clever and canny at isolating you from everyone else in your life, whether it's from like the fun aspect or the pain aspect. Um, so if there's a lot of changes that are starting to happen in your life or people around you are like voicing a concern, Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably a good idea to pay attention to that. And it's going to be really hard because again, your brain is like, nope, ignore them, cut them off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like you also can kind of like make excuses for yourself. Uh Yeah. So I think, but I think that's really good advice for sure. Um, And I feel like there's just like so many different ways that it like manifests you. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Do you think there's a stigma behind recovery from substance abuse? Again, yeah, like there's a stigma everywhere. And I think it can be based on different experiences that different people have had in their life. So someone may say, um, you know, I love, love as I'm rolling my eyes, these videos online of these like ignorant people who say addiction is not a disease. Like kids who have cancer have a disease. You didn't have a disease. You chose, have you ever seen these videos? Mm-hmm. It like, That's just so extreme. It's, it literally sends like, I'm just like, I can't, I'm like block, block, block. Like I can't deal with you. Yeah. Um, cause you're so limited in your knowledge, right? You know, these individuals will have this belief that like, Oh, a kid with cancer didn't choose to have cancer. You chose to put that needle in your arm. You chose to have that drink. And so what people don't understand is that the decision to first use for any of us is strongly influenced by environment, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it is um, peer pressure, family stuff that's happening, uh, and even it doesn't even have to be like under a negative context, right? Like it could be, oh, in my family, everyone has wine with dinner, mm-hmm. right? Like it doesn't have to be this like terrible, negative, uh, heavily painful experience. Um, or it can be, I'm going to do Adderall so I can get good grades and stay up, right? It can be heavily influenced by environment. But as we get older, that environmental influence decreases, and that's when our genetics start to kick in. Mm-hmm. So while, yes, all of us, right, at some point have said, like, oh, this is a good idea. Let me take a drink of this, or let me try something of that. We're also not all addicted. Mm-hmm. So that's where the genetic component comes in and that's where the disease model comes in. Mm-hmm. So um, there's definitely people in the world that like promote the shame and promote the stigma. I'm sure people have had their own experiences as well where they were hurt by someone in active addiction and maybe that pain is still present for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can make it challenging for other individuals who experience addiction to get into recovery. And then I think there's a lot of people who are in recovery that you just have no idea about because it's a part of their life and it's not the only part of their life. Mm -hmm. I know that that was, that was like, I listened to this one podcast and like the girl has like a YouTube channel too. And like, she was posting like on her podcast or YouTube channel, whatever. And then like two weeks ago, she like posted a video and was like, I'm, I've been six months sober. And I was like, whoa, like, where like, did this yeah. come from? Like, she never talked about it. And she was like, yeah. that's just been something that, like, I've been working on. And she was like, I decided to get sober a month before a global pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it's just crazy that, like, I was able to just, yeah. like, make it through all of that and still remain yeah. sober. And she was like, I'm so proud of myself. And, like, now I want to share it now. And it just made me, like, so emotional because I can't even imagine, like, 
I don't know, just like going through all of that, especially like during a pandemic. I mean, like we're definitely not like big drinkers over here or Mm -hmm. like anything like that, but like, it just must be so hard to like, I don't know. It's just kind of like you said, like not everybody's just like telling everybody about their recovery. It could be something that they're like keeping personal to themselves. So. Yeah. And there's a difference. And I think people need to tap into like, are, is this private or are you not sharing because you feel shame about it? Because they're, those are two completely different lives that are being led. Mm-hmm. So like what advice do you have for someone who is struggling with addiction or like knows somebody that's struggling? So the biggest thing I think that you can do is talk about it. There's this researcher who I um, love and like read all her stuff and I'm obsessed and she's, you know, like all famous like therapists and psychologists are like dead, right? But mm-hmm. she's not. Her name's Dr. Claudia Black. And she's been studying families and addiction for a long, long time. And she has identified what's called the unspoken rules that Mm -hmm. really when addiction is a part of your life, like everyone's obeying these rules and the rules are don't talk, don't trust and don't feel. So anything you can do to work against that Mm -hmm. is going to move you closer, even just by the smallest amount towards a healthier lifestyle. So whether it's expressing your feelings, finding someone that you trust, learning to trust yourself, building trustworthy relationships, um, communicating, talking to someone, talking at an honest level, like any parts of that can be helpful and is not going to be hurtful. That's such a great resource. (laughs) Uh, What's the hardest part about helping your clients through addiction and what's the most rewarding part? I think overall, the challenge, the most challenging part of being a therapist is sometimes when you see incredible strengths and resources in your clients and they don't see it in themselves and you have to be extremely patient and help them grow to name it and see it in themselves. Because if my job was just someone comes in and I throw compliments at them all day and that's how change happens, like boom, 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 right? Like you'd be in and out in two seconds. Um, but that's not long lasting, meaningful, effective change. So it's kind of like being patient and waiting for your clients to see in themselves what you see in them. I oh, think yeah. it's human nature when you see someone who's in pain to want to comfort them. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And be like, it's fine. You're wonderful. Don't worry about it. Everyone makes a mistake. Like you want to kind of offer up all these platitudes mm-hmm. or be like, you're really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even platitudes because I mean it, but it's, it's meaningless coming from me. Yeah, yeah. The one who needs to believe it and see it and, and do something about it. Mm-hmm. I know, like, we did an episode, like, a few weeks ago about, like, toxic positivity, and I feel like yeah, sometimes, exactly. in, like, examples like this, it can come out where it's, like, with you're struggling with something, it's, like, it's okay, it'll get better, like, yeah. it, like it's fine, but, like, in times like this, you can't just, like, I don't know, you can't just, like, bottle it up and, like, yeah. keep pushing it down, like, you have to bring it up and, like, talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. But... Once again, speaking of your website, um, I read that article on your website about like the top five lies of recovery. And I thought that was really interesting. And I didn't know if you wanted to like kind of talk about that a little bit and like other beliefs slash like kind of stigmas about about recovery that you'd like to disprove. Because I thought that article was really interesting. Yeah. And so I just put that together based on the clients that I work with. So that Mm -hmm. wasn't like anything I did like research on, but it was just really about, you know, limiting beliefs, um, to get into a life of recovery. Like one of them, for example, is people say like, Oh, you have to be selfish. 
I have to be selfish. And I'm like, no, that's not the right word to use because being selfish means you're hurting other people to get what you want. You're stepping on other people. You're pushing people out of the way. You're not connecting to other people. Recovery is about putting yourself first in a healthy way, right? So there's this common analogy used in therapy about the oxygen mask on an airplane that when you're on an airplane and like the pressure starts to change, it's like, put your own mask on before you can help other people. Mm -hmm. And that's all we should be doing, right? Is like, let's take care of ourselves because when we're taking care of ourselves, then we can show up as our best self for other people. So there can be, I mean, I only put five down, but I'm sure there can be like a whole slew of limiting beliefs. Um, But like, check them out, right? Say like, is this true? Like, and what does this really mean? Like, ask yourself questions, ask other people questions. Like, are you selfish in your recovery? You know, like, how do you show up in that way? Or um, don't make any big changes the first year. Well, like, you're probably going to have to make a lot of changes. (laughs) A lot of the friends that you ditched uh, that you were hanging out with, or if you were working at like a place that was not respecting you or a boss who was abusing you or a place that was like, had heavy drug use, like you're probably going to have to change your job because that's not a safe environment for you to be in. Um, so like the first year plus of recovery, you're making a ton of big changes and that's okay. You know? So like check out exactly what these, um, sayings and, you know, acronyms and slangs like mean in recovery and see if that applies to you. It may apply to some people. It may not apply to others. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest takeaway you want to leave the audience with when it comes to recovery and addiction? This is our final question. So yes. make it good. <laughs> it's hard as hell and it's totally possible. Yeah. And it may take you 800 times, but that 801st time, if it leads to the rest of your life being, you know, healthy and sustainable and exciting, like then keep going. Mm-hmm. And there's a million people out there in the world cheering you on. You just may not know it. Like I am always cheering you on. And I don't even know who you are, but I am always, always, always here for you, always cheering you on. So it's absolutely hard as hell. And that's probably one of the reasons, the reason why I love working with people um, that have a history of substance abuse is because they do work like no other person in therapy. And that, so I'm like being biased now, right? But that's my belief because there's so much to do. There's so much work to be done. There's so much like pain and shame to let go of and to put down. So it's hard as hell. It's not like, oh, you'll be fine. This will turn a corner. Mm-hmm. Like sit in the pain and it will, the rewards that you will experience are mind blowing. Like nothing you can ever experience in your life. I just have so much respect for people that do it. Like there's no shame in like relapsing. Like as long as you like just keep going and just like, just keep trying to be your best self because it is so hard. And like, it's as much as as of a physical thing as it is mental. Yeah. Like you just have to like be patient and just, yeah, just Mm -hmm. like keep going. Yeah. And even a relapse does not erase all yeah. the work you did before that. No, not at all. No. Right. And it, right. I just don't think like addiction is anything to be ashamed about. It's like a legitimate disease mm-hmm. and so many people deal with it in like different forms, but right. it's just like acknowledging that it's a problem and like you working towards a solution is just such a big accomplishment in itself. I know. Like I always think of 
I don't know if you know him, like that actor Dax Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he was like married to Kristen Bell. I remember like watching an interview with him, and he used to be like have like horrible addiction. Like he was addicted to alcohol, mm-hmm. he was addicted to coke, he was addicted to like all these drugs. And he did like this um, really great interview, and he was talking about like how like he would black out for like five days and like mm-hmm. not remember anything, yeah. and like he had a friend like find a notebook in his room one time and it was like all these tally marks and it was like hundreds of tally marks. And he was like, what is this? And he was like, that's like all the times like I've relapsed. And he Mm. was like, even like the, like, I don't know, even like the darkest, like, like the darkest, like black hole won't even make somebody want to seek recovery and like seek help. But it's just that, like you said, that 801st time Mm. that you try And now he's clean and sober and has an incredible podcast and Mm -hmm. he just has like so much great things going for him. I don't know. I just think it's like a good lesson and kind of like a cool guy to look up to. Yeah. There's so many people, celebrities and non-celebrities that have done amazing things with their life. And it certainly takes time and, you know, it's just an incredible journey, incredible journey for so many people. But this was amazing. You yeah, were like, you're so great. I love you girls. This was awesome. This was a great way to spend my Monday night. It's a great way to start the week. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, thank you so much for taking the time out of your night. We're, yeah, we're recording we know this at 8 p.m. Yeah, guys. we know you're so busy. And, like, we just want to say thank you for just, like, doing what you do and, like, showing up for other people and just, like, being that person that others can depend on because I don't think there are enough people like you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the world could always use people like you. Well, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys having this platform to mm-hmm. allow me to come on and share about therapy. It's something that I am, you know, we say like being a therapist is not a job. It's a vocation. Mm-hmm. Like it's a calling, you know, and you have to really feel that to be effective in any way and to enjoy what you're doing. And I truly believe that. So I appreciate you having this platform so I can talk about it because I love talking about therapy. <laughs> it's so, so important. if you wanted to know, like if you want to let them know like your website and like your Instagram so they could follow you. And oh yeah. So my website, so we just did a new website, which I'm so excited about. I love it. It is bcatherapy.com. And then my Instagram, I think it's Bryn under, this is terrible, isn't it? I think what it's under is Bryn underscore Sicipio, C-I-C-I-P-P-I-O underscore L-M-F-T. We will, okay. we will link it down yeah. below. They'll be able yeah. to find it. Don't worry. We'll yeah. tag you. But like BCA therapy. Yeah. Like, dot com, like that'll get you to everything. Okay, cool. Such a great website. As I've talked about it in like literally every yeah. single question. <laughs> no, it's great. It's, it's oh, I don't know. Everything you need is there for sure. But again, thank you so much. We really appreciate you talking about this stuff. And yeah. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Bryn. We really hope that you enjoyed it. Yeah. We just think that this stuff is super important to talk about. Again, like we said, if you guys ever need someone to talk to, because I know it's a lot to talk to like so, like people in your life sometimes and you might just want to, it's almost easier to talk to a stranger, mm-hmm. like a therapist or us. Yeah. We're your friends. Um, if you ever need someone to talk to or maybe you're experiencing mental health issues for the first time, please reach out. We've dealt with so much in our lives. So just, yeah, just never be afraid. We're never going to judge you. This is a judge-free zone. And we just want you guys to be your best selves, be authentic, and we want you to stay here. Because we love you and we mean it. Yeah, um, just thought I would add this in right now. If you or someone you know needs this number, you can call the National Suicide Hotline. That's at 1-800-273-8255. 
That's 1-800-273-8255. And that's completely anonymous. I believe there are also like chat rooms too. So you don't actually have to like physically talk to someone, which is really helpful. Um, And then there's so many other therapy like mediums you can get into like better help and Mm -hmm. just all those things that are so great. You don't have to physically go see anyone right now. You can talk to them over the phone like I know Aaron does, or you could talk to your therapist like through telehealth. I think I use Doxy is what it's called. So I FaceTime mine and I just think it's such a helpful tool right now, especially if you have like social anxiety or anything like that. Um, You don't have to physically like go into a place, which is great. Um, But just take care of yourselves, check up on your friends and just, you know, just try Just take it day by day. Yeah, exactly. You really, this time right now is probably the last time that you should be putting pressure on yourself and expecting you, like expect yourself to feel 100% and feel mm-hmm. like totally happy all the time. You should give yourself a break and totally take all of Bryn's advice in this episode, especially the point that she made that a lot of therapists will do a 15 minute free consultation. Yeah. So even if you want to just word vomit and then never talk to them again, you could do that. You, I think it's just important to just get it out. Practice meditation, journaling, all that good stuff. Talk to a friend. Talk to yourself. Mm. You could talk to yourself your like through your phone with voice memos. Yeah, I've talked about it before that I sound like a crazy person, yeah. but I'll literally set up my phone. and I mean, it's almost like as if I'm like recording a podcast, mm-hmm. but I'll set up my voice memo when I'm like have such irrational thoughts that I know that A, nobody can help me and B, like... I just won't get anywhere if I just keep rambling about it. Mm-hmm. So I just like talk to myself and I'm like, okay, like this is how I'm feeling. This is what's happening. And I don't know. It always just makes me feel better because even though I'm only being heard by myself, I still feel like I'm being heard. Yeah. So just get it out. Please don't bottle it up and just do something every day that makes you happy. Whether that's like watching TV, taking a nice hot shower, doing a face mask, like making yourself a nice dinner, anything like that. Just make sure you're taking care of yourselves because... This time is really tough, honestly. This is a really hard time, and it's good to acknowledge that. So just keep pushing every day, and we love you guys. Let this episode, this moment in time, be your sign that you are needed here. We want you here, and we love you, mean it, and we want you to stay. Yeah, so just thank you guys for listening. Thank you for letting us have a platform to talk about this stuff. It's so important, and... If you guys are feeling suicidal or you're struggling with addiction or anything like that, you are not alone. We're rooting for you, even though we don't know you. And it's just important to remember that you're loved and like Aaron said, you're wanted here. So without further ado, we're going to peace. We're going to end it here. And um, we're going to continue to drink. And And cheers. Love you, mean it.